0: Welcome to Changing the Channel with Joe Garner, a show about shifting our individual and collective beliefs on what is possible for the future of humanity. As our understanding of how our reality continues to shift, we are at a point of reunification between science and spirituality. What does the world look like when we break free from the generational trauma that has kept most humans playing small for thousands of years and step into our full power as the co-creators of this reality? I always ask that you keep an open mind with this podcast. Ask yourself, what resonates with my truth at this time and what does not? Respect your intuition, but see if you can get through the whole show because there might be that little nugget buried deep in the conversation that unlocks something for you. Welcome back to Changing the Channel. I have today a wonderful sister, Carrie Lambert. She is a licensed social worker, a trained yoga teacher, and mental health Mental health therapist. She's helping bridge the gap between East and West when it comes to mental health. So, welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Joe. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Excellent. So, Carrie and I met. We actually know each other from before the podcast through a mutual friend, uh, Nicole King. And I, I believe you guys did your yoga teacher training together. Is that right? Yeah,
1: that's how we met. But it almost feels like we should have met like eons ago because we were so so connected. <laughs>
0: yeah it's it's kind of funny how that that happened yeah we met a uh, a couple of times through Nicole, and just every interaction seemed very aligned. It seemed like you know we were meant to have that conversation right at that moment so how how was that teacher training you you did it at um soulfire, which is actually my hometown yoga studio, so how was that training? It was a two hundred hour training you know what was that training like for you
1: yeah it was I definitely like life changing, something that I'll get into more. Um, you know, I really just signed up thinking I was gonna learn to teach yoga in the um the aerobic sense of it, like you know, like teaching a class um for exercise. And uh that was when I really, you know, thanks to Kat and B and Jesse Cassidy, like you know they really helped us make it more than just that and um and the group we had 20 people in our group and it was like every single person was placed there strategically by some greater good because it just couldn't have been more magical
0: yeah yeah i love i love that and how that always comes together mm-hmm. in in those teacher trainings and how connected those groups of teacher trainings i've seen probably 5 or 6 Uh, classes come through the soul fire and Mm -hmm. each each time it's it's really cool to see how bonded Mm -hmm. those that group of of people are going through 200 hours of of training and again for for people who don't fully understand yoga teacher training is way more than just learning how to do poses and how to breathe properly Mm -hmm. it's it's delving fully into the the vedic studies really understanding what the yogic uh philosophy is and then applying that to who you truly are and who you want to truly be and how you are showing up in the world. So if you've never if you've if you've only thought that this is just an opportunity to learn how to teach yoga or you know a fun way to make a little bit of extra money, it it's far far deeper than that and I think people like Carrie can definitely speak to that. So tell us a little bit about who Carrie is right now and that journey to get to where you are at this point.
1: Yeah. So um, I feel like I am maybe at the best version of myself that I've ever been. Um, And that took a lot to get there. Um, You know, going all the way back to childhood, like grew up with a lot of chaos and trauma in the home. Um, But of course, just like most children that live in that thought that it was normal. Um, And really, it was until uh, I was an adult and I saw I was working in a mental health office and saw um, these therapists around me and like I had no idea what mental health was. I was just working the front desk trying to go to college. Um, and I saw one uh, therapist in particular, Nicole, who was a play therapist and saw what she was doing with these kids and just noticed how they would come in and how they would leave just different. They didn't look different, but there was just something different. And I was maybe like 18, 19. Um, So I decided to change tracks, go to um, school to be a therapist. Um, And the funny thing to me is that you don't have to go to therapy in order to become a therapist. And that's like something I have a passion about doing uh, later down the road. But um, so I went to school, uh, went off to graduate school, became a a licensed clinical social worker, um, worked in a few different like environments. Just, you know, I, I knew that I always had this passion to help and I had done the schooling. I had you know, learned all these theories from the textbooks and really thought I knew what I was doing. Um, But then as I started to work with people, my own stuff started bubbling up and I went to therapy. Um, My incredible therapist, Farah. shout out to her because she really kind of paved the path. But what was really interesting to me was that Farah started introducing these other concepts. You know, I found yoga, was doing yoga and knew it made me feel good, but didn't really know why. Um. But Pharaoh would always encourage like those, those extra things, not just coming in and talking about my problems or what was going on. Um, and so, um, I was a therapist for a little while, went to therapy, worked on some stuff, thought I felt good, but then I found yoga. And when I really found yoga was when I started to notice how I felt different off of the mat, not just like physically, but I was having this like emotional change on the mat and I I still didn't know what it was. Um, signed up for my YTT and then found, um, some Reiki that really kind of put me into the next, uh, level of like feeling myself and then, um, and then found sound immersion and and did a training with that as well. And I just feel like all along the line, um, these extra things have just helped me become more of who I am and connecting back to who I really am, despite all the things that have happened in my life. Um, So, yeah, I'm currently working as a therapist. Um, I've worked with kids, adults, families. Um, I supervise other therapists, which is a really honorable job because I get to see people who might have been in a similar situation when I first became a therapist, trying to navigate this, like helping other people. Um, I teach at uh, Salisbury University for their social work program. So, again, helping like students that are navigating that. Um, Yeah. And then I. Teach yoga, and I love that yoga kind of has brought both of those worlds together. That in the yoga studio, I'm helping people. It may not be in conversation, as much as just holding that and providing that space. Um, so yeah, that's that's who I am.
0: Finally, a place for listeners to gather and share. Join the Ascension Update Substack for messages and updates from our brothers and sisters helping with the Ascension, articles on the future of humanity and a Q&A where you can ask my guides anything you would like. This is the hub for everything Ascension related. Click the link in the show notes or go to joegarner.substack.com to stay at the leading edge of this movement. And now, back to the show. Beautiful. So let's talk a little bit more about that overlap that you see. Uh, you've come from both mm-hmm. the Eastern approach and the Western approach to this healing process of of both mental and emotional states so where do you see that overlap how do you see that kind of overlapping between the two and maybe is there opportunity for something new to be birthed from this this overlap this this combination of east and west
1: yeah you know and i I wanted to make sure i also say in all of this that i don't want to discredit like mental health therapy at all i think it's a it is beautiful and it's been life-changing for me Um, I think, you know, a job as a therapist is really hard sometimes, you know, but we have to go that path that we're asking other people to take first. And that's kind of where I go back to that comment about, you know, I can't believe that you can become a therapist without going to therapy yourself. Right. Like, and we're all just on this journey. We never get to that place where we're there and we've arrived and that's it. But um, still to, to have to do a little deep dive on yourself, I think is just so important before we. Start um, walking with other people, right? Um, but you know, it's in school we learned these theories, and you kind of learn that the different theories, you know, kind of build on each other. Like someone has a thought on how all problems exist, and then you know, a theory then tells you what things to do to fix that problem. Um, and then somebody else says, "Okay, I really like that, but we're going to add just this little tiny mix to it, and we're going to call it something different." And so it's like this evolution of all these theories. Um, The cool thing was that, and kind of disappointing because, you know, grad school isn't um, cheap. Thankfully, I've had some opportunities to help pay for that. But um, I went to school and did all this formalized stuff. And then I started with the YT, started learning about yoga philosophy. And so many of those align with these theories that we bill insurance for. And we put like a a label to um, diagnoses. Like those are really just um, symptoms, right? That people are experiencing from their life story. Um, but we, we have to make it in a medical model in this world in order to have payment for it, in order to make a living. Um, and so, you know, I think it was probably shortly after YTT that I realized that, that so many of these theories I was learning more about, I was like, wait a second, that sounds really familiar. Um, let's go to the true self, right? Like that in itself is one of them. Um, you know they say yoga is the journey of the self to the self through the self and that pretty much explains internal family systems which is a theory that's used to help people to describe who they truly are like your question at the beginning joe like who who are you because we are we have that true self underneath and any yogi would would know that from their studies um but this theory um explains that we have different experiences that cover up that true self with different parts And, you know, we have this piece that we can write in a nice progress note and say that we talked about this theory, but really it's just things that were there eons ago, like from the beginning. So I think, just think it's interesting how those things evolve and they put labels to it just so we can build insurance and, and have validity to what we're doing.
0: Right. Yeah. So much of the, the new knowledge from today is just recycled old knowledge from Many, many, many years, and there's there's always you know the, kind of that ebb and flow between the chaos and the order, like bringing about new things from the old, uh, and just kind of recycling them, and in, in the current state of society, in the current state of consciousness, and being able to do that. But it does seem like there's a bit of an evolution. Mm-hmm from that old system what what I would call kind of more the western approach to mental health and and health because I think both of those go very closely together your the health of your body is tied to your mental health mm-hmm. your mental health is tied to the health of your body and I think we're going through this kind of evolution where some of these older practices some of these less you know studied and uh, statistically proven as of so far processes are coming back into it and they will become a part of a lot of people's journey in this uh, this time and space where a lot of people are going through a healing process themselves. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. But I am pretty interested in what is what are some of the the most cutting-edge In the Western medicine approaches to mental health, like what are they? And do you have like a parallel to some of the yogic traditions that that also are incorporating them? I know you talked about IFS already, Mm -hmm. but are there any other kind of where are we at in the mental health right now?
1: Yeah. So one of the um, theories that I got trained on was EMDR or eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, and there's, you know, definitely the scientific piece of it. Like it's been studied, it, you know, its efficacy is great. Um, I personally have experienced it and use it in practice. Um, and what I could compare it to is, you know, with EMDR, the belief is that anything that's troublesome now is connected to something in your past. So um, the belief is that we, you know, build these neural pathways in our brain and oftentimes things don't get stored correctly, especially during trauma. And so, um, you know, the idea of like shadow work and things like that, you know, that might be from experiences uh, generationally, like you mentioned, like, um, but EMDR is essentially like a mindfulness practice too. Like we ask, you know, what we would do in a session is have someone bring up something that's troubling them now. And I always use myself as an example. Um, When I would teach at the university at first, I would get really, really nervous And um, like I'd have hives and get really, really anxious. Um, So at my like seven o'clock class, I was drinking chamomile tea, not because I wanted to go to bed, but just to like calm myself. And so in the processing, I brought up that feeling. And then you identify the negative cognition related. So what's the belief that you have? And in yoga, we believe we talk about like limiting beliefs and um, paying attention to the mind. And the belief for me when I brought up that image um, was uh, like, I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough. I don't know what I'm talking about. So then what we do is what we call float back. So we I would ask the person, like, let's think about the first time that you remember feeling like that. And so, you know, our brain is making associations all day long. So that's really all we're asking is like, what do you associate? So I can't remember what my float back might have been, but what really was the spike of it was a memory. And I wouldn't call this like a big trauma. You know, I certainly wasn't going to do that in my training with my colleagues, but was um, in ninth grade, this teacher that like embarrassed me. And I certainly hadn't thought about that in at least 15 to 20 years. But when I thought about it, I saw like my you know ninth grade self and how embarrassing that was. And, um, And my brain was naturally able to come to this positive cognition of, oh, well, you were in ninth grade and, you know, had empathy for that ninth grade person. And then we come back to the present um, after we process that part. And what do I want to believe about myself now is the question. So you change the negative to a positive cognition. Mm -hmm. And holding that same image that I started with of me being nervous and anxious in the class, the image started to change. And like the positive cognition came up. And, you know, I certainly get a little nervous now, but it's much less. But it's really about just being present with what that feeling is, essentially a form of mindfulness or meditation, and then allowing the brain to heal itself. And that's really what it believes, that every person has the ability to heal um, themselves and that they already have everything they need within. Again, another like yoga philosophy that, you know, we are all just connected and, Um, That we're just having this human experience and those things are what really cause trouble for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, it's interesting that that it's basically a mindfulness practice, but it's been, you know, spun up into this idea and it has fancy Mm -hmm. abbreviations and all that fun stuff. But essentially it's okay. let's look at where this feeling is coming from in the mind. Mm -hmm. What is the, the furthest back you can go? And then change that idea around you, like Mm -hmm. change the channel on what your belief is of that memory. And that becomes now the new memory. And it's really neat to see when you start to change your history, when you start to change the beliefs that you have about your life over the last 20, 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. how that changes the present. And then in changing the present, it's now changing the future. You start to become this even better version of yourself that you normally, that you wouldn't have become if you had stayed on that same path, if you had kept those same beliefs. And that changing of ideas is such a powerful way to really start to create change in your life. Change when you know that you need that change to happen. That is kind of where to start. And, 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 Have you seen the use of meditation and mindfulness in Western approaches? Like, are they, is anybody prescribing 10 minutes of transcendental meditation? Is that an opportunity anywhere in the Western medicine approach?
1: Yeah. um, I, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, we all have our own judgments. And sometimes I get a little intimidated by clients thinking, oh, they're just going to think I'm, you know, they might have their own judgments of me, right? Like I'm just spitting yoga out or mindfulness and like that that's the key. Um, And so sometimes I would be a little hesitant. I might not want to talk about it with a client, but I've really gotten rid of that because some of the people that if I had held back sharing that with really would have been a disservice to them. Um, I have one guy in particular, um, you know, from judgment, looking at him from the outside, he, um, biker dude, you know, really... um, tough looking, like kind of a deep, loud voice. Um, And we were meditating at least five minutes before our sessions or before we finished. And I feel like that was such a gateway for him to being the better version of himself. Um, And so, yeah, mindfulness is really big in the mental health world right now. Um, The interesting thing is in Maryland, and I can only speak for Maryland's licensure, in social work, we are not allowed to take any training that includes the word yoga. Now we can take it, but we can't use it for our continuing education. Um, And so that's a really big um, tension point within the social work and mental health world because there's so much proof about the science of yoga and its mindfulness and its connection to the body because EMDR, we're taking that mindfulness piece, but we're attaching it to the physical sensation. Um, There's different protocols for EMDR based on like what, um, what problem you're maybe addressing, And tons of different skills that the piece I gave you was just one little example. Um, But essentially, that's what it is where we learned that we have to attach the body into this type of work that we do. We can't just do a top down approach anymore. Um, So it really fires me up when when they're like, oh, well, yoga, you know, isn't you know, we can't have yoga in it. But yet it's so it's highly researched and has been proven to be effective.
0: Does EMDR are you are you putting like anchors in the body for specific memories? Is that kind of the idea?
1: Well, so and part of what I um, forgot to mention with that, the eye movement comes in because during the reprocessing of the thoughts, um, we use eye movement. So I have a light bar that some people will follow, or if we're doing telehealth, they can just follow a light on their screen. Um, to to bring the rapid eye movement, just like REM sleep. Because when you sleep at night and you have REM sleep, uh, your brain is consolidating all of your memories. So the way that it was developed was this woman found that she was walking, and Shapiro found that she was walking in the woods and her negative thoughts were starting to kind of uh, not be activating as much in, within her body. And so they really started with just bilateral stimulation. So any left, right movement of the body can be done during the reprocessing. Um, some people, we always try with the eyes because that can be the most, um, I'm not sure if effective is the right word, but that's like the, the OG of it. Um, but we have other ways, like um, some of my clients will hold buzzies where they vibrate left to right in their hand. Um, and, uh, and that helps the reprocessing of it um some of them might do like a butterfly tap and tap their body um and that does tend to help um, them be a little bit more grounded and be more present versus like possibly dissociating during it especially when we're doing like trauma and reprocessing um yeah so we're always checking in because we actually do a body scan as part of it is after we even go through the cogn- cognition part we ask them like is there anything left in the body do you feel anything um, there are pain protocols that you can al- al- allow the client to bring up the part in their body where they feel pain, and you might ask, like, "What does the pain say? What is the cognition that comes up?" And you desensitize the part to pain. Um, so mm-hmm. it's very body connected.
0: Gotcha. So you're you're using that connection to the body to kind of a remain in the body as you process mm-hmm. that. Trauma or relive that trauma or experience that trauma from a yeah. a new perspective, and yeah, yeah instead of disassociation from mm-hmm. who you are and and that experience yeah. that you had because that's that's that can be a very tricky mm-hmm. situation when you just have continually disassociated that memory or that situation or that experience, yeah from who you actually are, but really? it's still in there it's in your subconscious and it's creating the reality that you're experiencing mm-hmm. even though you don't feel it and experience it like from a subconscious perspective yeah you, essentially the the subconscious mind is creating up to 95% of your reality and and how you're experiencing reality so yeah. if it's in there and it's running that that subconscious program is running yeah you might not do I was watching a fascinating video uh Bruce Lipton was talking about this and essentially how when you when your subconscious mind when you're not focused internally on the on the internal right you don't have any mindfulness practice you're not looking at the things that you're doing essentially when you're only looking out into the external world the subconscious mind is running your programming because that's the only way it works you don't have that internal sight mm-hmm. so you know you don't have a conscious understanding of exactly what you're doing yeah. and it it actually creates this complete blind spot so mm-hmm. When the subconscious mind is is running its programming, you as a conscious being, you're not experiencing all the things that you're doing, all the negative things that are impacting you 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 don't experience them, you don't remember them, but if you went back and talked to other people and been like, "Hey, you know how how come that interview went terribly?" It'd be like, "Well, you brought up all these childhood traumas that were completely irrelevant to that situation, and from a conscious mind you wouldn't even have noticed that your subconscious programming mm-hmm. is just running. So he, yeah. he was <clears throat> making the parallel that essentially if you have no mindfulness practice, if you can't turn within, your subconscious mind is running everything in your life and you can't even see what that subconscious programming is doing. It was a fascinating um, video to kind of watch. And, and again, he, you know, he's a, he's a fundamentally, he's a doctor of, uh, I believe he was working on stem cells to begin and then he got into the idea that consciousness is the is the aspect that is creating the the illness mm-hmm. in your body. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're when your mind is thinking that you're going to get ill, you'll get ill. If your mind is thinking you're going to get healthy, you'll get healthy and he did a whole ton like decades worth of work on the placebo effect and and how essentially the belief in Anything creates that reality within within this, you know, this existence. So it was it was kind of interesting to to hear how you have that blind spot in your when your subconscious Mm -hmm. mind is running your day to day operation.
1: Yeah. And for so many people, like to ask them, like when I say, where do you feel that in your body? A lot of times they get two answers like everywhere because they're not really paying attention or I don't know what you mean right? So the first stages of EMDR, um, some of the first stages are like the preparation stage. So um, we teach, essentially we teach mindfulness. Um, We teach what we call like safe place. So we're asking somebody to create like a place in their mind where they would feel the safest, some place that they could go, like almost like a guided imagery, Um, but it's all within. They create this place. um, And then we test whether they can hold that positive affect or not by using the bilateral stimulation. But it's also a skill for them, right? Like allowing them to take themselves somewhere and then using like slow bilateral stimulation to help them to hold that affect. And then when we do the trauma, like reprocessing, we go faster, which helps the brain kind of um, get through that part. Um, But the interesting part is that they don't have to tell me anything. So like you said, when we talk, like when people talk about these traumas or just like kind of spit it out, especially when there's no um, affect connection there. it's not really healthy, you know, to we've found that talking about trauma um, isn't the best way, because like you said, they can talk about it over and over. And how many people have been to talk therapy for years and they, they still don't get any relief or maybe they get a little relief, but they don't really get to the core. Um, so in the therapy, which I think the best part about it is that they don't have to tell me what they're imagining. We just check in with how much it's affecting them. And I'm just literally holding space for this person helping like them check in with themselves and then, but they're doing all the work. It has nothing to do with me. Um, and so I think that's the most honorable part of being a therapist is watching and helping people like find that they have everything that they need within them already. And, and they're the ones doing it. I'm not doing anything really.
0: Right. They just, they need that permission slip to access that ability to heal themselves. And that's That's what so much, almost all of this healing, even the energy healing, even people doing Reiki, Mm -hmm. um, all of this is just giving people the permission to heal themselves or to deal with the trauma that they haven't dealt with. And Mm -hmm. it's really cool that we've gotten to a point where, you know, we can get the ego out of Mm -hmm. all of these practices and studies and really to fully understand that nobody is healing anybody else. Jesus wasn't healing yeah. anybody else. He was giving them permission to heal themselves. Same with yeah. you know any of the other Gandhi or 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 any of the other you know ascended masters. And they knew that. They fundamentally knew that. They just probably didn't share that with the people they were healing. Yeah. Um because again, how how important is it to to fully understand that you are the one that is healing yourself. You're the one that's changing how you are viewing your past and that's changing how you are showing up in the present which changes how you will be in the future and just that that continual mm-hmm. loop constantly and and for mindfulness practices i mean that's all that you're really doing you're you're tuning into okay what am i experiencing right now why do i feel mm-hmm. you know this this negative energy or this negative feeling and then how can i go back to to where that that was mm-hmm. and it's been really cool in my meditation to mm-hmm. to be experiencing that to to see and have conscious memories come back and flood in and be like oh here's where that's coming from this is why i'm you know playing small or here's why i can't sit down and do the work that i need to do because i don't believe that i'm good enough mm-hmm. to do that work mm-hmm. and then reprogram reprogramming that. And then the next day you sit down and say, boom, I, I got it done in 15 minutes. Like I'm good to go. So yeah, it, it's been it's been powerful for mm-hmm. me. Um, I've, I've never done I actually I had one experience with talk therapy. Mm-hmm. I had an incident with alcohol when I was 20 years old. And my mom sent me to a a therapist mm-hmm. that she knew. And we did these kind of silly trainings. Uh, He he made me take this test to to see if I was an alcoholic. Um, And I was a 20 year old in in college at one of the top party schools in the country. Like I answered yes to probably 35 of the questions. Uh And if you answered yes to five, you were considered an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So I was seven times more than an alcoholic, according to this thing. So he was he was alarmed, to say the least, when we had that that conversation. Mm -hmm. But Unfortunately for, you know, I didn't believe that that would help me in any way. I, I was just doing it because my mom basically made me do mm-hmm. it. And that was the only experience for me with with talk therapy. But yeah, the meditation, the mindfulness um, and and having people in my life mm-hmm. that are able to help me talk through some of these things. I'm, uh, My last partner was was very good at getting me to see where, you know, my beliefs might not be uh aligned with my actions mm-hmm. and and how I was saying one thing and doing another and that was very important mm-hmm. in my my evolution as well and then and then as I got into meditation it was mm-hmm. it was very cool to see those uh those experiences and and how it helped me truly see who I was being and then change because I knew I didn't want to be that person that I was being I knew that I didn't want to show up every day you know angry and frustrated and and just not a good happy person so it took me a while to to really work mm-hmm. through that and you know it was years of practice for sure yeah my meditation practice took probably 3 years to really get into it and fully understand what I was doing mm-hmm. um again with no real guidance i was just kind of loosely doing things and seeing what happened seeing what stuck yeah um and then one day it just kind of clicked and I I felt like, OK, here is what the meditation is designed for. So it, it's it's been a wild journey for me.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, that's always my biggest fear about therapy. Right. Like not ever. And I tell every client that I meet with, like, I am not the, the right therapist for everyone because I don't think that you can be if you're in, if you are the right therapist for everyone, you're not being true to what you believe in and like what theory you follow and align with. And so I always give them permission at the beginning. Like if something's not working, we talk about it. And my hope would be that we could talk through it. But if not, I always want you to find the right person. Because I know so many people, Joe, like that had a negative experience like that, that might not ever try therapy again. So my biggest, you know, if I could put a message out there to everyone is if you have an experience and you don't like it, tell your therapist, because guess what? We get paid to not take things personal. Like that's why the therapeutic relationship is so beautiful, right? Like I'm not allowed to tell anybody what we talk about. It's completely safe because if not, I'll lose my license. Um, and not only that, but I love that that safety is in place so that people can fully open up because if they don't feel safe, they can't. Um, but bring it on, like tell your therapist what's going on, what you like, what you don't like. Um, and if, you know, remember that it's about you in that relationship. It's not about them. Um, so I, I hope that people would take that away, that they can, you know, always talk about that. And and if you don't like that there, try another one. I know people that it might have taken a few times for them to find the right connection. Um, and, and that's okay. It doesn't mean anything's good or bad or wrong. It just is what it is. And sometimes it takes a little while for us to find that click, so.
0: Right. Now, where do you see mental health, the the mental health field, moving towards? Uh, again, we're in this kind of transitory period. We're we're definitely seeing the limitations of what I would qual, what I would call, kind of the reductionist approach to science. Mm-hmm. So, just reducing it down to the smallest level and saying this is the only way that that things work. And we're actually starting to understand that there's energy fields that exist, that there is a bioenergetic field that we all have and that there's, you know, a lot of what we call health issues are actually issues within that bio field. So, you know, where do you see the future of mental health and this this uh, maybe a little bit more of a holistic approach to mental health? Where is that moving towards from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think like psychiatry still has its place. You know, like doctors, like I would never take away from what they do. Like our psychiatrists, I've worked with some really fabulous people. And honestly, the best ones were the ones that didn't just write prescriptions, but they understood the therapy piece and really valued that as part of, of the treatment. Um, I think that we are seeing more and more mindfulness and more of these like, um, like EMDR, internal family systems a little bit kind of off the edge a little bit, you know, not just, you know, cognitive behavior therapy. Again, not to down it. It has its place. Like our thoughts affect feelings, our feelings affect behaviors. That kind of comes from an energy sense, right? Like if we think about energy, that everything is energy, it starts with a thought and that thought affects the way we feel. And then that the way that we respond or the way that we choose to behave. Um so I really do see a lot of different avenues I think I think also just as a society we're more open to that there is more of a crossover of those things um people are a little bit more open to that um mental health is so difficult to access right now um I think there's a few things I think people are more open to it so there's more people going to therapy um something else I really and I don't know if this fits in Joe but just something I kind of feel compelled to share is that Uh, mental health therapy has also turned into people not wanting to burden their friends. So I find that a lot of people, you know, when we think of mental health back in the day, we think of just like the big diagnoses of like psychosis or bipolar disorder, like these chemical imbalances that that have been labeled, right, or schizophrenia. Um, But, you know, so many people in society right now could definitely meet criteria for the DSM diagnoses you know, adjustment disorder or anxiety or depression. Um, And again, I feel like those things exist just so that we can feel injured. And they also do give us a framework of like, what are you experiencing and how can we label that? But I really look beyond that. Like, what's the story and what led us to there? Um, I know the DSM, they're actually looking to um, have a diagnosis for for trauma. Um, You know, we have PTSD. That's more like, when there's been an identified near death threat or a near death experience that still impacts them um, but they're in the works of making a complex PTSD diagnosis which would explain like ongoing traumatic events um it's used but i um it's not official yet um so i really i do see like different things coming that are not just the old school way you know even like thinking back to like um electroshock therapy like how you know that one.
0: That's my favorite therapy.
1: (laughs) But like, you know, thinking about like how we treated (laughs) people like that, um, just, you know, more of these things, I think it's the society is changing too. But I kind of like went on a loop there. Um, Coming back to a lot of people are coming into therapy and they're saying like, I'm the person people come to, but I don't have someone to talk to. I don't want to burden my friend. My friends are so busy. They have their own life. And you know, certainly the things we're talking about are not just surface level. Like, you know, there's been some memes I've seen that like call your therapist, the gossip doctor, like funny, it's cool. Mm -hmm. But there is some reality to that. Like, um, you know, I hope that when they're going to therapy, they're able to get a little deeper and not to stay Mm -hmm. on that surface level of that, because that's what it should really be about. But I do see a lot of people um, coming in for that. And my hope would be that we can kind of come back to that community sense and you know, being there for each other. And and it doesn't have to be in this formal therapeutic way necessarily. Like, I think if we can encourage that a little more, um, we could maybe alleviate the mental health system for things when they get a little bit deeper.
0: Right. So, yeah, you're, you know, the first line of mental health would be your connection to friends and family and have mm-hmm. them, you know, at least talk it out with yeah. them and see... See if they have any experiences or any ideas behind, you know, why you're experiencing that. Again, yeah. you know, the more experiences that you've had in life, the more you're able to help others in the world. So yeah. you know, your parents, you might not think that they are as advanced as they might be, but they've had twenty plus years of experiences mm-hmm. that you don't you might not even know about because again, how many parents are, are going back and saying, hey, when I was 16 years old, here's the issues that yeah. I was having like that. I don't remember my mom ever telling me mm-hmm. anything about she she told me a little bit about what she was like in high school yeah. and, and college and then those next years after that. But
1: yeah, and I think you some-
0: know, they they had similar experiences that that were having as well.
1: Yeah. And some of that's like preservation from parents. I, I used to work with a lot of parents um, of their kids that were seeing in mental health. And, you know, a lot of times they would say, well, I don't want to tell them my mistakes or I don't want to share those things about me. But, you know, we set our kids up to to feel like we have to be perfect if we only see the good things of the parents. So really just, you know, being more open as a society and talking about things, talking about things that we you know, struggle with or the things that we've gone through, I think is just so important because it allows other people to feel that and to not be ashamed to feel whatever is coming up.
0: Yeah, beautiful beautiful suggestions and I definitely think that that we all have this role. It's it's Yeah. Uh, I think that's a part of this conscious evolution that's happening and and the breaking down of the separation consciousness where we all think we're separate from each other and and start to realize that we are all the same thing. We're all a mirror for each other. We can all as that mirror for each other whether that's consciously or unconsciously, mm-hmm. but The more conscious we are that we're playing this role with another being, the better that outcome seems to be. I mean, if you're just doing if you're reacting from an unconscious perspective because somebody's triggered you in a in a way Mm -hmm. that's less productive than if somebody has a conscious conversation with you saying, hey, when you acted like this, this is how I felt and this is how it seemed like to me that you were projecting. And then that conversation is seems to be a little bit more productive than you know, triggering each other and having these emotional responses, and then um, maybe figuring out <laughs> that there's a solution in that problem, but also it, it could end that relationship. And okay. and you know, again, that's the 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 idea between or behind raising the consciousness. It's not that necessarily that we're getting smarter or we're becoming more emotionally intelligent. We're just taking more of the things that have been. On the unconscious and subconscious level, and we're bringing them into a conscious light, so that we can make these conscious decisions about how we respond to these actions, these these inputs, these experiences, versus reacting to those experiences or um, you know triggers or anything like that so Absolutely. any any thoughts as to uh, from my perspective, <laughs> everything in the world is speeding up. All of these changes are starting to speed up the uh, ability to heal your help yourself is starting to speed up mm-hmm. the information that's available is starting to get out faster and faster and faster. So mm-hmm. as this speeding up starts to happen, any tips or tricks for people to keep their sanity, to keep uh, you know staying mindful, to to find their center uh, as what seems to be happening is the world is just changing at an, an an incredible rate. And I think that change is good. The there's a, um, there's a golden period of humanity on the other side of this massive amount of change. Mm -hmm. But during this, you know, kind of interim period, when we're experiencing this change, there is a lot of, a lot of things that can trigger that can cause trauma that can, that's probably going to be affecting people. So um, there might not always be that, that, interaction between so any tips for people just you know w- by themselves how can they cultivate a more healthy mental um state in their in their everyday life
1: yeah you know i think that that um a lot of times when people get into this and i think when i say a lot of people i'm thinking about me um i got into like all these things and i wanted to read every book and i wanted to do every type of yoga class and i wanted to do had this list of things i was meditating, journaling, drinking the apple cider vinegar, doing all the things. And then that became overwhelming. Right. And it's like, well, you know, then there was some shame about that. I think when we make those huge lists and try to tackle too many things, then we blame ourselves when we don't accomplish it. Um, And so uh, Jesse, the Jesse Cassidy, who led our YTT, um, he one time told me, he said, you know, that doing nothing intentionally is still doing something. And so I think honestly, like When you mentioned like how fast things are, my initial reaction is just slow down. Like, and I'm talking to myself too. That's still like a daily practice. I still want to do all the things. I still overload my schedule. Um, But one of the things that I've learned more is to to slow down and do nothing intentionally sometimes. And so if you're doing that, then you're still doing something. Um, But being kind to ourselves too, and just not having to push to those limits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very wise words. And I think that's something that, that everybody can take home, especially, you know, today with social media, with, with, you know, jobs that you have to do with raising kids, with all of these different things that are piling up. And the fact that society is changing at such an incredible rate that it can definitely feel overwhelming. And I, and I kind of giggle when you said all those things, because those are all things that I do on a pretty much daily basis. Luckily they don't overwhelm me anymore because they've just become a part of me, but Meditation, journaling, apple cider vinegar, all of that is all a part of my my routine on a daily basis. Well,
1: I think like at first, like overwhelming, right, because you're trying to find the ones that do work for you or the ones that you're not forcing yourself. I think even when I first started meditating, I remember um, in in YTT, we were required to do it so many times per day, how many minutes. And there was some resistance there for me because I had to do it. right? I had to make sure I did it just to check off the list. But that was negating the whole reason. And I remember after YTT, I text Jesse and I was like, I just craved meditation. And I don't know who I am or where that came from, but I'm going to go meditate. <laughs> and then and then now it isn't that thing that's like overwhelming or just to check off the list. Um, so I think going through it is you have to also change your mindset of that, right? Is like it's not just checking it off the list. It's the experience of it, too.
0: Yeah. And then it becomes overwhelming to not do it. It's right. It's.
1: Like you can feel, when you don't like, do it. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah.
0: So, well, Carrie, this has been wonderful. I really <laughs> love what you're doing, bringing east and west together for mental health. Um, it's it's very powerful, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm I'm blessed that we have had this experience and we've been able to connect. And it sounds like we're both going to be in the same area coming up here in the next couple of months. Yeah. So hopefully, we can connect again and um you know share these ideas with people maybe in real life in in persons
1: i would love that joe thank you so much i really appreciate you
0: you too thank you carrie have a great rest of your day too. thank you again for listening to changing the channel with joe garner if you enjoyed the show please follow the podcast hit the bell to know when a new show comes out share with a friend and rate us on whatever platform you're tuning in from It helps get these messages out to more people to create the collective shift in reality we are here to experience. Make sure you interact with the Q&A and poll sections of the show so I can continue to provide content you enjoy. Finally, check out my website in the show notes to become a VIP of changing the channel and join the shift that is happening.